Tonight is March 29th, 2017. The title of tonight's sermon is Fight. Fight. Uh, seems like this is exactly what the Lord is speaking to us as a group. If you haven't gotten yet the memo from heaven, this is the memo for you. This is where we are. This is where we will be for a while as a church because this is what God is putting before us. There are many different seasons that you will come to in the life of a believer. In your walk with the Lord, there, there may be great and tremendous seasons. There may be a lot of different things that you are going to have to do. But I can encourage you right now. Everybody say right now. Right now. The season for our church is that we fight. Um, I, I, was, uh, I was overwhelmed last week uh, by, by reading a story about a man named Jephthah. We'll get to that here in just a second. And the, what I took away, we'll, we'll share that. I believe that you guys even uh, had Brother Chris Riusora teach on that maybe last Tuesday night. Not last night, but maybe the week before. And a little, I, I, I wasn't there at that. I wasn't blessed to be there. And uh, I've just been studying on Jephthah this past week, just sinking in and, and digging in. And I, let me tell you just the shortcut of what I got from Jephthah. Fight. It's time to fight. Um, Let's turn to Matthew chapter 16 and verse 16. Matthew 16, 16. Say there when you're there. I so appreciate the moving of the Holy Spirit because I feel like this message was preached to you already through our worship time, through what the Lord was saying through His Word, through what the Lord is speaking to us. So that makes this a, a fun time for me because the Lord's already said it. If you were listening, you already know exactly what we're going to cover tonight. We're going to put some other uh, scriptures with this, but we don't, I don't want us to lose this heart. It says in Matthew 16, 16, Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know, most things in your life are going to need to start with a revelation of who God is. If you have a really strong revelation of who God is, then everything else that happens after that is going to fall right into place. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, not just the rock of Peter, but on this rock of revelation of who God is, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I steal this unashamedly from my friend, Pastor Eric, who shared this with us on Monday night. Do gates ever advance against anyone? Gates are in defense of those who are advancing. Some of my favorite movies, I enjoy watching movies from time to time, and there are always these scenes in these epic battles, right? And someone is in the castle, and they've been fortified, and usually they have it as the bad guys advancing against them. And so you're just hoping that you can stand the onslaught, the ocean-like tides that come against you. What we are learning as a church, what God is beginning to whisper in our ears and shout from the rooftops is this. You are the flood. You are the ones that are advancing against the very gates of hell. And the gates of hell will not prevail against you. It will not stop you from going where you need to go. Let's get out of this idea that we need to sit and just hope that we can brace. That we hope that we can make it through the inevitable tide of dissipation that is before us. Let's be the ones that are advancing. Let's be the ones that are giving the first blow. Let's not wait for it. If we know that the enemy's coming anyway, 
I, I know there's a lot to be said about, about being wise. I know there's a lot to be said about being temperate. And the, and the Bible encourages us in this. I'm trying to talk about an attitude for us to have here tonight. If we know that the enemy's coming anyway, why not just go ahead and hit, the, hit him first? Walk up to the bully and punch him right in the face. This was encouragement that I would give my kids when we were little. Uh, that I would give my son. If there's someone that's getting hurt, you know why the Lord made you strong? So you can protect others. That's what I spoke to my son. If there's a child and they're getting hurt, you walk up and you defend him. If it's a little girl that's getting hurt, you go knock the dude on his tail. Or lose. Whichever. And I know that the school will discipline you. And I, I, your father, will rejoice over you with singing. As I should. Pastor Eric also read from this, and, I, and I, I'm going to share a particular part of this. A quote from C.T. Studd. The best training for a soldier of Christ is not merely a theological college. As a pastor, I can assure you, I get asked this question often. When somebody knows that I, I'm a pastor, they're like, oh, did you go to seminary? And, and I jokingly say, no, I did not go to cemetery. I mean seminary. They always seem to turn out sausages of varying lengths, tied at each end. Without the glorious freedom a Christian ought to, be, ought to abound and rejoice in. They tell you what not to do oftentimes. They tell you where the limits are. We're trying to serve a God who is abounding in love. You see, when in hand-to-hand conflict with the world and the devil, neat little biblical confectionery is like shooting lions with a pea shooter. One needs a man who will let himself go and deliver blows, blows right and left as hard as he can hit, trusting in the Holy Ghost. This is an incredible phrase that goes on. Pastor Eric reads this often, and even when we're not in a service, these kind of quotes bounce around between us as pastors, reminding us, trying to rally our own strength at what is before us. But can I encourage you in something? The idea of a man, of the Lord finding a man who will let himself go and deliver blows right and left as hard as he can hit, There's something about that that moves me on the inside. The thing is, is I want to be that man. I don't want to talk about that man. I don't want to fantasize about that man, about being that one day. That's who I want to be. I want to deliver blows right and left. You know what I've learned over the years? That we all actually understand this principle. We don't all just understand it in the physical realm. If you weren't a fighter growing up, then you don't quite know what it's like to actually have to deliver blows against someone right and left as hard as you can hit. Anybody ever been in a fist fight? Oh, wow. That's more than I thought would be there. Anybody ever been in a lot of fist fights? Hey, Larissa, how you doing? I wouldn't mess with you, I'm just saying. Just talking metaphorically here because you would take me out. The idea of facing another person right before you and realizing that this is going to get bad really, really quickly. And you start throwing blows. I remember being a kid outside of my, my home in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I lived in the hood. No, it was really the hood. One time when Christy was, uh, she was a teenager and had come visited my house, it came over and, and other youth were there at the house. We were watching a movie. I don't even remember what the movie was. The police stopped Christy on the way away from my house, being like, what are you doing in this neighborhood? She didn't do anything wrong. They were just worried for her safety. 
We like, you do not need to be here. Thanks, that's where I grew up. I remember going outside and literally sometimes having to fight to get back inside. I have no idea why. It's just the way that it was. You literally like, okay, think we're done playing football. And apparently there's three people who want to fight me between the time now and the time I walk in the door. Even if you don't understand what it's like, even if it's been so long that it's just an antidote in your mind. Facing something and deciding that you're going to have what it takes no matter what happens to finish it is something that we should all be familiar with. If you've been decorated in academia, you know what it's like. You know what it's like to engage in a test and be like, everyone else is shaking in their boots, and you're like, <laughs> I got this. You, you actually know what it's like. You know what it's like maybe in the workplace where you're going, hey, I may not be as skilled as others, but I know that I'm going to do this, and it's going to be done right, and I don't care what goes on. There's these moment, there are these moments of intensity that you understand, because if you're in this room today, you've had enough success somewhere that you know exactly what I'm talking about. You do. I, I believe that with all of my heart. If you're a mother, and you've been taking care of kids for a long time, you're like, well, I don't have the workplace, I don't have this. I promise you, when you have one of those days, one of those days that are legendary and could become a meme somewhere online about how much the kids have just thrown up, blown up, whatever, in your house, and then you're going to overcome, and it's almost to the point of ridiculousness. You know what it's like to keep pushing through. What I want to do tonight is remind you of that and encourage you to put it in the right areas. Your academic prowess is not going to help you in this. Your ability to, to throw fists not going to help you in this. For we wrestle not against what? Flesh and blood. That's not what we're aiming for here. But we are aiming for an attitude that says, I will deliver blows right and left with all that I have and it actually be all that I have. Because the final part of that phrase says, trusting in the Holy Ghost. You know why you have to trust in the Holy Ghost? Because what happens after you've thrown everything that you have at somebody and they're still standing looking at you? I don't know if you've ever been in that kind of position. But if you have, your prayer life improves very, very quickly. I just hit that dude as hard as I can hit him. And he's just looking at me. Whew. This might get ugly. I have a, I've, uh, I've said this statement for years to my wife. And it's half joking and it's mainly, mostly true. I've told her that if she ever sees guys with cauliflower ears the ears that are all messed up because they've been in too many fights. I said, if we ever get in a scrap, please know, dear loved one, that I will defend you. But I need you to help me out. <laughs> I need you to immediately dial 911. <laughs> Don't wait. Don't wait to see how I'm going to do. <laughs> because those few seconds or few minutes may mean a difference for me. I'm not going to shy away. I will. Christy, I will go in and I will defend you. But if there's some big eight of them dude with cauliflower ears, 911 send. <laughs> Just do it. Are you ready? Do you have that same attitude about your walk with the Lord? I'm going to start throwing punches here. And if I come out, great. If I don't, great. But what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to retreat. I'm not going to walk away. 
I'm not going to bow down. I'm not going to back up. What I'm going to do is go forward because this is exactly what God has for me. And it's for my benefit that God has us to fight. They are what they call peacetime generals, right? Non-war going on and you, you operate an army a certain way in peacetime. But you know what? Most people don't do well in peacetime. Not if you're a military person. Because you know what you've been trained to do? You've been trained to go to war. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 11. Are you all tracking with me here? 2 Samuel chapter 11. I'm kind of leaving my, uh, my notes here. So, 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1 says this. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war. You know what you should read right after that? David was at war. Right? In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. You know what this tells me? This tells me even hardened warriors like David. David who was not allowed to construct the temple for God's very presence because he had too much blood on his hands. Songs sung about David that said, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has ten thousands. This man is a general among boys. He is an incredible warrior. And you know what he does? He forgets that he was made for battle. You know what happens to us as believers? This exact things. In the timing, in the season that we're supposed to be going out and fighting, you know what it's likely that we can do if we're not careful? We'll send other people. Our goal in life is not the American dream. By the way, you understand that the American dream was constructed after World War II, right? This was a ploy an effective marketing campaign to say, hey, all you GIs coming back, you know what you need? You need to go live in the suburbs. You know what you need? You need labor-saving devices like these brand new washing machines. This is what you need. You need to get a little house somewhere out away from things that's not too busy that you can leave the activity of your day and go and rest and settle. Because you, sir, that's what you deserve. This was a marketing ploy that became labeled as the American dream. That's exactly how it came about. Have you bought into some kind of Christianized dream like this? This is not where we do our best. We are not at our best when we are relaxed. Why do you think, uh, and, and I know we have, we have some salesmen in the room and I'm not knocking. Do you know one of the issues that most salesmen have? They can become very, very lazy. You know why? Because all you need to do is go around and make a few sales. And most people aren't driven enough unless they're very, very selfish and want to make tons of money. It's actually not good for us to have a lot of time. How many of you guys do really, really well when you have nothing on the agenda? You read your Bible like you should. You pray like you should. You're serious about that. I don't. Maybe you do. I don't do well without some type of something that pushes me along. My life here at this church actually helps me. I know that someone is going to come over, that I'm going to meet with someone today, someone tomorrow, maybe multiple someones usually, and they're going to need a word from the Lord, and I don't know what it is yet. It pushes me to want to study my Bible. 
It pushes me to want to pray. It pushes me to live right, whether anybody's looking or not, because I know that someone else needs it, and I don't want to let them down. I do better when there's a pressure of the body upon me. I do better. How about you? Don't we understand this to be true? Let's turn to Judges chapter 11. Most people do not do good with absolute freedom. We say we want it. What do you want to do on your day off? I want to do nothing. What do you want to do on your vacation? I, don't want, to, I want to go somewhere and just lay on the beach for a couple of days. I want to do nothing, right? Amen. Take your day. Have a good Sabbath. Get some rest. But you know what? A lifestyle of this is not usually good for us. It actually takes the engagement with other people. It takes the pressure. It takes the things that are there and it actually makes us into be something that we're supposed to be. It's good for us to go pick a fight. Judges chapter 11, verse 1. Say there when you're there. Amen. Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior. Everybody say mighty warrior. mighty warrior. His father was Gilead. His mother was a prostitute. Well, that escalated quickly, didn't it? Huh. Gilead's wife also bore him sons, and when they had grown up, they drove Jephthah away. You are not going to get any inheritance in our family. Why did they drive him away? Because his mother was a prostitute. They've got a brother now, a half-brother, and they're like, yeah, you're not going to get what we get. You didn't come from the same stock that we came from. Verse 3, so Jephthah fled from his brothers and settled in the land of Tob, where a group of adventurers gathered around him and followed him. You know what I know about Jephthah? I look at the people who gathered around him and I can learn a little bit about him. Who gathers around you? Do, the strong, do strong people gather around you? Do adventurers gather around you? You know what this word actually is in the, in the original language? It's the same word that's used for vain or empty or worthless. There are other translations that say that worthless men gathered around him. I don't think they were worthless men. I think the NIV has this one right. They were adventurers. They were empty of any inhibitions. They were empty of anything other than what was right before them. They were vain in that respect. He had a group of adventurers gathered around him. Verse 4. Sometime later when the Ammonites made war on Israel, the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. Come, they said, be our commander so we can fight the Ammonites. Now, wait a minute. I thought you didn't want to have anything to do with me. I, I, I thought I was from the wrong side of the tracks. I thought I had the wrong heritage here. They were like, yeah, see, now that we're at war, see, we didn't like you when it was peacetime. But now that it's war, we actually realize that you have a certain set of skills that we can use. Let's not, let's not be too quick to look at people who have a warlike mentality and want to put them as some other category. Because the truth is, is we need those people. The truth is, is this church right now for this season, we need to be those people. You, you missed a good chance to agree with me there. Maybe you were thinking, maybe you're writing, it's okay. Wednesday night, we need to be those people. We need to be the people who are ready to make war. He goes through and he, and he continues on. I'll just recap the story for you. 
he goes on, he gets ready as soon as he's like, okay, now that I'm going to, I'm going to be your boss, right? When I go fight these people, I'm going to be your boss. And they're like, yes, you're going to be the boss. All right, let's gather everybody. Let's say it all again. Say it again. I'm the boss in front of everybody. Heard that? Cool. All right, now I'm going to go fight. He goes and he immediately starts addressing the Ammonite rulers. Hey man, why are you fighting me? He starts off and he's trying to develop his strategy here. He's figuring things out. And he's going and he talks to them. And they make false accusations. He's like, nope, that's not how it happened. Our God gave us this land. We're not just going to hand it back to you. What has God given you that you're, easy, that you're ready to just hand over? There better not be anything in your life that God has given you. If God has given you a family. Don't be so quick to hand it over. If, if God's given you your kids, don't be so quick to hand that over. If God's given you this church, don't be so quick to hand that over. If God's given you your job, don't be so quick to hand that over. You know why? Because he's given it to you. He actually wants you to fight for it. Amen. Go pick a fight. Who did I tell that to the other day? I was talking to somebody. I don't even know if they're in the room. I was talking to somebody. I was talking to my friend Keith. He's like, hey, Keith, guess what? I want to go pick a fight. Will you help me go pick a fight, Keith? He was like, oh, yeah. I love having good brothers, man. Jephthah is there. He decides to fight the Ammonites. And many Bible scholars, this is the point where the story turns just a little bit. The Spirit of God comes upon Jephthah, and you know what happens? He makes a vow to God and says, Lord, if you help me, I will give to you anything that walks out of the front door of my house. Now, the other day when I was studying in my home, I looked up on my PC study Bible and I just put Jephthah's name in the search bar and I read every article on him. Everything. All of it. Click. Click. You know what a lot of Bible scholars say? They either try to, to say he really didn't vow what he vowed because you know what happened? His daughter, his only child, comes out of the house. And he's like, huh. Oh, You've made me so sad because I made a vow to the Lord that I have to keep. And her response was, yes, Father, keep your vow to the Lord. Wow. There's a lot that I could say about that. I'm not going to go down that path. I want to I address this, though. People talk about what a rash vow that Jephthah made. Rash vow. He made a foolish vow. Did he really? Or is it that we don't like the fact that it cost him a lot on the other end? Nobody says that it was a rash vow at the beginning. The Spirit of the Lord was on him. He wanted to conquer his enemies. He said, Lord, I'm going to make a sacrifice to you if you do. And then he kept his vow. What if God is asking you to do something that's really big and others around you may say that's rash because it cost a lot? What if it wasn't a rash vow at all? What if it's exactly what God told him to do? And then on the other end, as people are looking at the high cost of it, they're like, gosh, that's so rash. I can't believe that, that Nick and Sam are, and Judah and Sasha, I can't believe they're going to go move to Turkey. That's such a rash thing to do. It's not rash at all. They're doing exactly what the Lord told them to do, though it may cost them everything that they have. How about you quit looking at your vows as being rash because it's a high cost to it? How about you get ready to fight? 
How about you get ready? If there's an enemy that's attacking your family, how about you not sit there and go, hmm, I wonder. That is not the time to, to measure out your pocketbook and to see if you have enough. That is the time for you to leap into action and save those that you love. You cannot have hesitation in those moments. You've got to go forward and say, this is the time that I was actually created for. The reason that the CT stud moves me to tears almost every time I hear it about throwing blows right and left-handed with all that you have trusting in the Holy Spirit. You know why? Because when the time comes, that's what I want to do. I've had opportunities in my life, and you know what i found? The Lord has been with me, and I've been able to throw blows right and left with all of my might. I'm not as much worried about the past ones as the next ones. Lord, thank you so much that you've been with me, and in spite of myself, I've learned how to throw some blows in the spirit realm. I've learned how to not give up. I've learned how to press into your presence. I've learned how to fight for my family. I've learned how to do these things, but Lord, I know that there are things that yet are required of me. I don't look at it and go, whew. Man, done. Check it off my bucket list. You shouldn't have a bucket list list in the kingdom. Because you know what you do? Once you scratch something off, you don't think about that again. What I find is what God is always after us is to make constant sacrifices for Him. Lord, I'm going to move forward in You. I'm going to do exactly what You're telling me to do. Can you turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 18? Susan, this is back on the slide. Is everybody there? It says this, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by following them, following what? Following the prophecies that were given, you may fight the good fight. Everybody say, fight the good fight. Man, the second that I started thinking about this, mulling things over today, I was like, oh, yeah. 1 Timothy 1.18, fight the good fight. I looked this up today. These words uh, have an interesting meaning. If you go to the next slide for me. Fight the good fight. I took both of those words, fight, and I looked it up in the original language. You may not be able to see it because of the size of the font. I'll just talk you through it. The first fight there is the word stratuome. And I put some of the meanings off to the side, so hopefully you can see it a little bit easier. It means to war. And actually, in the old King James, you know what it says? Not fight the good fight, but I want you to war a good warfare. That's what it actually says. In other words, this is a real deal fight. This is for real. This is war. A fight indicates that it might just be you and an adversary, right? We're getting in a fight. If we're getting into war, what does that indicate? Now we're talking about imaginary lines between groups of people and countries, right? Now, now we're talking about some. Now we're talking about mobilizing troops. Now we're talking about getting something else ready. We got to get supplies and, and organization. And this word means to war a good warfare or strategize a good strategy. You know what? Some of us don't do well. Some of us don't fight a good fight. We might be ready to fight. We might have a good attitude like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll duke it out with anybody. I ain't afraid. My brother was on a plane the other day. My tiny 
brother. And a guy started uh, being very, very uh, aggressive towards one of the flight attendants. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. They happened to be right behind my brother. And so the flight attendant went to the back, and the guy stood up and started rumbling back there. And my brother went, oh, no, this ain't going to happen. So he stands up and makes his way. And the flight attendant and the guy was right here by the restrooms. My brother literally just pushed him to the side, walked through, and just stood there between the flight attendant and him. Guy was like, what? Hey, man. You can go ahead and go to the restroom. They end up getting nose to nose on a flight from Seattle, uh, from St. Louis to Seattle. Nose to nose with this other guy. Guy was 6'2", muscled up. My brother's like, hey, you're either going to go to the restroom or you're going to go sit down. Those are your only two choices. Nose to nose. They actually had to divert the plane. They landed in Omaha. They had federal marshals that came and locked up the other guy, put him in cuffs, took him off the plane. My brother was like, yeah. I said, this is just what you're supposed to do. I was like, amen. They announced him in front of the plane. Everybody on the plane bought him drinks. It was great. He's like, he's like, I'd do that more often if I knew all that. There are some who don't mind getting nose to nose with people. But this is not just getting nose to nose. This is fighting the good fight. You know what the word good there represents? That it's intrinsically the right and honorable thing to do, even if it's not benevolent. That's the definition from the Strong's. So what does that mean? Benevolent. In other words, if you don't get anything good from it, it doesn't even matter. It is the righteous, right thing to do, whether you like it or not whether you feel personally blessed by it or not, to fight the good fight, fight actually has nothing to do if it's good for you. It has nothing to do whether it's good for you. It has to do with it's, if it's the right thing to do. To stand up for righteousness is always the right thing to do. To stand up for justice is the right thing to do. If God cares about a bird that falls to the ground, how much more does he care about orphans? Kids that's been separated from their families. Whatever's going on around you. Are you looking for opportunities to fight a good fight? Are you looking for people that you can run to and help? We're going to war a good warfare. We're going to strategize a good strategy. We're going to have the right kind of military campaign. You know what we're going to do? We're going to fight the good fight. That's what we're going to do is fight the good fight. Can you go to the next one for me? Now, let's take, another, let's take another look. Here, still in 1 Timothy. Instead of being chapter 1, now we're in chapter 6. Take a look at it on the screen. Fight the good fight of faith. Amen. Well, thank you, Pastor Wade. That's exactly, you know, that's right what the other one said. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. By the way, you know what the word witnesses there is? Martus. Same word that we get for Martyrs. A little bit more serious than, than witnesses, right? This is, yes, it is translated rightly into witnesses, but the Greek word is martus. Fight the good fight of faith. Well, what happens to this one? You would expect it to be exactly the same since it's written by the same author, author only a few chapters before. But look what it says this one is. Completely different words. 
Fight the good fight in chapter 1. You know what it says? To strategize the good strategy. To, to see what's going to go on. To, to think through this and get the right fight to do. To right angle. The right perspective. That we're going to fight this thing and we're going to do it well. We're going to enter this. We've counted the cost. You know what this one says? You're going to agonize. Agonizome. The good agony. Can, can you see the difference? One is you're, you're, you've, you've got the right kind of spirit and attitude about it. You're getting in, and you know what the other one does? I didn't say that we're supposed to go start a fight. I had friends in school that were the ones who would start a fight. Y'all know those, one, right? Yeah, man, what's going on? What you doing? God, you need to shut up. Because what's going to happen is the second that somebody starts throwing blows, that dude is gone. <laughs> the, the, little, the little dog in, in all those cartoons. Yep, 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 yep. Talking big, but he's expecting Big Spike to come in and take care of it. You know what this says? If you're going to fight the good fight in chapter 1, you're going to have to fight the good fight in chapter 6. You're going to have to agonize the good agony. I'm not asking you guys to start a fight. I'm asking you to find a fight and finish the fight. That is a very different thing that goes on. Did, did that just shift in your mind? Did that just shift from, okay, that, that tension that's there, that, that, uh, that adrenaline that rushes as you're getting in to engage somebody, whether it's a verbal conflict, a physical conflict, uh, a spiritual conflict, there's this excitement that gets there and you're like, yeah. What happens after the first blows are given and you're both still looking at each other? If only we as Christians understood that we have to agonize the good agony to win the battles that we have before us. C.T. Studd is saying throwing blows right and left. You know why? Because just one isn't going to do it. Anybody ever prayed for a family member who's lost? You do one knockout blow, right? That was it. That's all it took. One. Bam. One conversation. Done. Have you ever gotten worn out from, <laughs> from fighting for your family members? You're like, God, I don't think I... My arms are tired. Yeah, uh-huh. You're going to agonize the good agony. You're going to fight. You're going to wrestle. You're going to take pain. Look at, look at what it says. Straining every nerve. You ever been pressed like that? You ever been pressed so hard that literally you have to... Have you ever worked at something as hard as you possibly can? So many people don't. They may work hard. But have you ever actually fallen from exhaustion from working so hard? A few weeks ago we talked about in Genesis 3 that the ground was cursed, but mankind was not cursed. God made it difficult for us so that by the sweat of our brow, the sweat as it rolled off of our nose and dripped onto the ground was actually forming something in us that we need. This is referencing back to the same ideas. We have to fight the good fight. We have to agonize the good agony. We have to strain with this. Can you show the next slide for me, Susan? I, I broke down. Those were the same two passages. At the top of the first one, straining every nerve to the utmost towards the goal. Look at me, folks. If you're going to fight this fight, you have to strain every nerve to the maximum that you can do it in the honor of the goal that's set before you. 
How much stamina do you have? I don't know, but He's going to give us enough strength to do this. Look at the next one. Look at the very last sentence, please. In the New Testament, it is presented as the life task of the Christian. That's the word for agony. That's the word for fight. It is presented in the New Testament as the life task. Pastor, I don't know what my life goal is. I can tell you what part of your life goal is. I can tell you how you're going to get to your life task by being in agony. By fighting and continuing to do this. Let's not get the American dream all caught up in our spirit and say, I need to find rest and relaxation as much as possible. I need to push away from anything difficult. I need to find something nice and easy because you don't handle it nice and easy well. And neither do I. It does not make us our best version of ourselves when we are that. We've got to find and say, Lord, I want you to show me. Lord, show me these fights that I need to be embarking upon and let me go after it. Let me go after it, Lord. There are plenty of fights around me. Which ones am I supposed to engage in? Lord, which ones for my family do I need to fight? Lord, which one of my family members are counting on me to be able to fight the right kind of fight to show them what they're supposed to do? Be exhausted at the end of the day. That is a good thing for you. If only, we, if only we could get to autopilot. If only we can get to cruise control. Then, then our lives would be good. Nope. You immediately beginning to have atrophy and you lose what God has given you. You know what the opposite of this word is? If this is the life task, let me give you some opposites really quickly. Antonyms that are here. Repose. Rest. Refresh, loosen, settle down to quiet. That's the opposite of fighting the good fight. We've got to agony and fight, work through the strife and the contention. Let's turn to Luke chapter 13, verse 24. <coughs> Luke chapter 13, verse 24. The life task of the believer says this, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, make every effort. The word here, you've got to have some agony, make every effort. You've got to agonize to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter, will not be able to. Hey folks, how many is many? Somewhere closer to most than not, right? Maybe it's most. But it says many. I tell you, many will try to enter and will not be able to. Those are, that's out of the ones who try to enter. So we're going to say the vast majority won't enter. You know why? Because there's a bunch that won't even try to enter. So we've got to agonize to find the exact path that God has for us. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We'll do some rapid fire scriptures here. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 24. It says this Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training, they actually go into agony. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. 
Pastor, why should I have to fight? Well, A, because God is calling us to as a church to go find fights and rightly fight them. To fight the good fights that God puts before us. And we're not doing it for a crown that will perish, but one that will last. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And look at verse 12. Philippians 3.12. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. That's the straining with every nerve that you have within you. To the utmost, you're pressing on towards God's goal in your life. Turn a few pages to Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. It says this, We proclaim Him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. That is the goal. To present everyone complete and mature and perfect in Christ. To this end, listen to this. I love this next verse. To this end I labor, struggling with all my energy. Is that what it, is that what it says? Oh, to this end I labor, struggling with all His energy, which so powerfully works in me. How do you like to fight if you... Wouldn't that be a great way to fight? When I was a kid, I spent way too much time playing video games. Way too much time. It's true, it was just a waste. And back in my day, way back in my day, you could have cheat codes. And you could do it a certain way. Up, down, up, down, A, B, A, B, left, right, left, right, start. Bam. You know what happened? Some of y'all, some of y'all know that was right. Uh-huh. You have unlimited lives or you have unlimited power. <laughs> Boom. This is, <laughs> it's kind of a funny way to say it. This is the cheat code for your life, man. This, this gives us the unlimited lives that we need. This, lives, this gives us the unlimited power that we need to be able to fight the right kind of fight. Turn to Colossians chapter 4. And verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. Listen to this. He is always wrestling in prayer for you. That word for fight in 1 Timothy 6, here we see it as wrestling. Come on, man. That's good. Wrestling in what? In prayer for you. That you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. First Thessalonians chapter 2. And let's start in verse 1. You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi. As you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. Here you see it in the word suffering and in opposition. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. A very familiar scripture. Therefore. Everybody say therefore. therefore. 
Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. You know the word here that it is? It's actually the word for race. When you're fighting the good fight, you're running the race that has been set before you. You've got your lane that's been assigned to you and you are fighting to stay there. You're fighting to advance the kingdom with every heart, with every thought. Let's turn to Numbers chapter 32. Numbers chapter 32. Let's start in verse 25. Numbers 32, verse 25. Everybody there? The Gadites and Reubenites said to Moses, We, your servants, will do as our Lord commands. Our children and wives, our flocks and herds, will remain here in the cities of Gilead. But your servants, look at the next phrase, every man armed for battle will cross over to fight before the Lord, just as our Lord says. This is the group of people who are known as the uh, Transjordanic tribes. They're coming from the east and they get to the Jordan River and they say, you know what? Actually, before we cross the Jordan, it's kind of nice over here. Is everybody okay if we settle right here before we get through the Jordan? We want to settle on this side of the Jordan. Is that okay? Okay, well, great. You can be assigned that, but you know what you have to do? You have to come with us and fight first. And then you can go back and claim your land. So it's not just enough for you to fight and get what you deserve. To get your inheritance. You know what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to be fighting for your brothers. Let's put, it, let's put this in a salvation. If, if you want to look at it from a salvation point, we are the ones who are the transjordanic tribes. We've made it to our inheritance. We're like, man, this is incredible. You guys ought to see where we're living. Have you seen how pretty this is? Have you seen how great this is? But you know what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to continue to cross over. We're supposed to continue to fight to make sure that everyone has the same thing that we can have, that we now have. You know what? It's great. It's great that God put us in a church like this. It is incredible. Words of prophecy, healings, missions, and you're seeing all kinds of things that are going on. You know what? I'm actually not settled with just us going, amen. Whew, this is all we need. What happens when we send families to Turkey? Are you ready to fight with them for their part of the dream? Are you ready to fight with them or not? Don't say yes if you're not going to. I'd rather you be quiet and just nod your head. We're going to fight with them. Not against them. We're going to fight with them. Against the enemy. What about, what about your part of the dream? What about Peru? You willing to fight for another family to, go, to get to Peru? I am. I'm willing to fight with you guys. <laughs> Nolan, I'm ready to fight for you. I'm ready to fight for you and your family. I sh- I'm ready to fight for you. I'm ready to pick whatever fight, no matter how big the adversary is, I'm ready to punch him right in his face. You might need to call 911. <laughs> Go ahead and just dial it. But I'm not just fighting with my strength. DJ? I'm ready to fight for you too. 
This is the attitude that we must have in this room. It's got to be more than just, hey, I've reached my place in the promised land. I think I'm accomplishing what God has called me to accomplish. Well, amen, good for you. Please enjoy that. That's fantastic. Your fight's not over. As a matter of fact, right after this, Moses says, if they don't do exactly what they said, every man armed for battle, then don't give them their inheritance. Even though they were in the right spot and it had been promised to them, if they didn't go fight, they lost their inheritance. In other words, if you don't get your inheritance then I can't get mine. Come on, if we actually all looked at each other like that, if I said if Curtis doesn't get, if Curtis doesn't reach the point that he's supposed to reach, if Curtis and Mary don't get there, then I don't get to get there. You know what that does for me? Come on, Curtis, let's go. This is the way that it's supposed to be. This is the way that this church is going to be. This is the way that we are and will continue to be. We're going to fight for each other, and that's exactly what God has for us. Let's turn to... Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2. <clears throat> Start in verse 10, please. Obviously, we're about to start the book of Joshua on Monday nights. It's going to be an incredible, incredible time. Verse 10, we're in the book of Judges now. After that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers. What whole generation? Joshua and the elders who outlived him. After that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. You know what? As great as our church is and as much as blessed as this is, you know what happens? If we don't do this right, what about the next group that comes through? What about the next generation of this church? They had Joshua, man. They conquered the land. That was awesome. God did incredible things. What about the next group? We've got to quit fighting like we're the only ones that are involved in this thing. What happens happens when we send teams off to Turkey? What happens when we send teams off to Peru? What happens when we send you where you need to be? What about what comes next? See, that's part of my charge here at this church is to think about this daily. Hourly. Usually by the minute. I tell you, this is where my heart is. Lord, what's coming next? It's not that I don't want to live in the now. It's not that I don't appreciate what we have now. I'm like, it's because I appreciate what we have now. I'm going, Lord, what's next? Lord, what can we do today to be prepared for the next? Because here I see a group of people who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Remember what I said earlier? If you have the right revelation of who God is, everything else can fall into place. They lost their revelation of God. And immediately they did evil. Look at verse 16. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshiped them. You know what happens when we can't raise up another generation? We actually teach them to prostitute themselves to worldly thoughts. We teach them to be intimate with things they should never be intimate with. Verse 20, therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel 
and said, Because this nation has violated the covenant that I laid down for their forefathers and has not listened to me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. Turn to chapter 3, verse 1. Are you all staying with me? We're hitting key points. You're welcome to read all the verses in between. Not hiding anything. We're just trying to catch the key points to lead us to this. These are the nations the Lord left to test all those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. He did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not had previous battle experience. You know what? If you don't learn how to fight the good fight, God is going to leave things for you to fight anyway. You can't get away from the idea of learning how to fight in the kingdom. You know why? Because it is our life's goal. This is why we are here. We, you and I, are supposed to be putting this world back into the right order. You know how you do that? Well, you ask the bad guy to to put down his weapons. Nope. You can ask all you want. He's not going to do it. You go make him put his weapons down. You go take captives from the warriors. You go protect those who are being violated. You go and do the things that you're supposed to do. And you know what it does? We're making the kingdom be here on this earth. Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done. You know why? Because we're going to be the vessels that make it happen. We're going to fight the right kind of fights because I don't want to have a group of people that don't know what it's like to fight. We want to be a group of people who know how to fight who know how to warfare, who know how to pick the right kind of fight and win the right kind of fight, and then we keep it going. And we teach those who are coming after you. And you teach those, and you keep raising up people, and you keep having disciples that can do these things. And you know what? We don't end up like this. 1 Samuel chapter 13. 1 Samuel 13. Verse 19. Lest you think this was just after Joshua died. These were just the next generations after Joshua. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 19, it says this. Not a blacksmith could be found in the whole land of Israel. Because the Philistines had said otherwise, the Hebrews will make swords or spears. So all Israel went down to the Philistines to have their plowshares, mattocks, axes, and sickles sharpened. The price was two-thirds of a shekel for sharpening plowshares and mattocks, and a third of a shekel for sharpening forks and axes and, other, and repointing goads. It was such a common occurrence that they knew the prices. That everybody, it was just like a common... The way I read this, this scripture, everybody knew what the price was to sharpen a, a mattox, to repoint a goad. What's the problem here, folks? No one has any weapons. Is this not the state of our modern church today? We've gotten so busy reading verses that say we want to beat our our swords into plowshares. Yeah, yes, that is absolutely going to happen. The, The scriptures say that, but you know when that happens? At the end of this thing. We're still in the fighting stage now. You need to go out and find that that Maddox and you need to beat it into a sword. What do you have in your life and what do you have in your hand? that you've been trying to use for rest and repose and refreshment, and God wants you to turn it into a weapon that will defeat the enemy. Do you have a skill that God has given you and you're using it on your job instead of for the kingdom? 
Do you have a calling that God is trying to hone and really you're just treating it like it's just something that you cut the grass with? It's just a sickle? What if he wants to make it into a sword or a spear? Something that will take the head of the enemy every time. Or do we go to the world to sharpen what we have? You got a call to be a teacher in the kingdom, so you go and you get a teaching degree. How much does that cost? I don't know. Maybe two-thirds of a shekel. You got a gift to be an evangelist. Are you going evangelizing or are you using that to be an excellent salesman and get what you need? These scriptures that were written thousands of years ago are meant to prick our hearts right now. What do you have? What has God given you that should be a weapon in the hand of a warrior? This is what we're looking at here in God's people. Verse 22, so on the day of battle, not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword or a spear in his hand. Wow, what an impressive army. What are you going to do, yell at them? Ah! Only Saul and his son Jonathan had them. <laughs> two people, the king and his son. He got two weapons. Wow. I know that we've got people in this room who have weapons and they're sharpening them. They're honing them each and every day. Want to be like men who could use a sling, left-handed men who can sling and, and shoot at a hair and not miss it. These are actual descriptions of men in the Bible and how trained they were, who can use weapons in their right or in their left hand. This is the kind of warriors that we are presenting and that we are creating here in this church. Do you want to be one of them or do you just want to watch them as they do it? I want to be one of them. I want to be one whose knuckles are hardened from swinging right and left as hard as I can. Blow after blow. This is what I am. This is what I want to be. This is what I will continue to be. Will you join me? Come on, man. Look at chapter 14, verse 6. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, think of that. Jonathan and an armor bearer. Ain't nobody got no weapons. We know this story well. I think the armor bearer was actually a perfect pick for Jonathan. You know why? Because he was more than just one who carried a sword for him, carried his armor. He actually had the same spirit as Jonathan. You know how we know? Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. In this moment, he is strategizing the good strategy. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Listen to what the armor bearer said. Do all that you have in mind. Go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. You know what makes you ready for a battle? When before you know what all, what all is entailed in the battle, you're already ready for it. Heart and soul. I'm in. Hey, do you want to? Yes. Who will go? Me. I will go for you. You don't know where I'm going to send you. Yep, still me. Choose me. Do you guys pray prayers like this? This has been my prayer the last week. Lord, I see what happened in court. To 
to what this church has done and stood up against wickedness, stood up for righteousness. I see what the courts decided, and it wasn't in our favor. My prayer the last week or so has been, Lord, don't leave me out. I want to fight too. I'm not left out, and I'm like, Lord, I want to, I want to have something. I, I, I want to have something in the game. I want to have something where it's, where it's my blood in the offering. These decisions were made with Pastor Matt and Pastor Eric and our elders before I even got to the church. Now, I've, pr- I've prayed and cried about it. I've cried out to the Lord for it. But you know what? It's different when you're the one that's involved in the fight. I'm ready to cheer you on when you're in your fight. I really am. I am ready to cheer our turkey team on. I can't wait. But you know what? I'm going, hey, Lord. Don't leave me out. I'm, I'm holding down the fort here, Lord. I want to fight too. I want to keep swinging, Lord. You've given me times in my life where I've had plenty of opportunities to swing. Lord, but I want to, I want to keep swinging. I don't want to assign it to someone else when it's my job to go out to war. I don't want it to be springtime for me where I'm just sending other people out, Lord. What about me? I want to fight, Lord. Help me to fight. That's been my prayer for the last week. Lord, I want to fight. Lord, I want to fight. Help me to find the good fight to fight. Not reckless, not foolish, not getting myself into something that I shouldn't, but Lord, I am ready to fight whatever comes down. I'm ready to fight for the people in this church. Lord, help me to fight. Would you allow the Lord to stir you up like that tonight? Would you allow Him to go, God, I didn't realize it. Every, we, we just got to move Elder Charlie last weekend. Was that the last weekend? It feels like it was three weeks ago. Last weekend. Four days ago. God. You ever move something heavy? Get a bunch of guys around something heavy? Right? And then what happens? One dude says, oh, I'll get the door, and he just lets go and goes open the door. So... How much were you actually helping just then? Oh, I got it. Amen. I got it. What you realize is some people have their hands on things, but they're not actually carrying the load that you think they are. Do you have your hands on some things, but you actually aren't carrying the load yet? Are you in the circle where the fight is? It's kind of exciting and exhilarating. Might even get a little sweat thrown on you, but you actually haven't thrown a blow yet. It's time. How about you cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to fight. Lord, it's time for me to fight. You know what happens when you're in the fight, though? I grew up in a low-income environment, the hood in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, I grew up as a free lunch, public school kind of kid. My school, super low income. This, this, this is, this is the, the stock that you come from, right? You got to learn. You got to get in there and have a good fight. You've got to get there. Let me look at one, one or two more scriptures and then we'll close here. Let's turn to Nehemiah chapter 4. 
Nehemiah chapter 4. What do you have your hand on, but you're not carrying much weight? Where are you standing around looking at a fight? There were always those guys in that high school. They were always guys standing around looking at the fight. You going to get in it or not? And because we're not talking about physical things only, this puts everyone in the room in the dead center of who I'm aiming at tonight. This is a spiritual battle that we're trying to learn how to fight. That means you need to get in the fight. Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 7. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the men of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. If you're doing things for the Lord and accomplishing it, it will cause other people to get very angry at you. If no one has been angry at you in a while, I'm not talking about for foolishness. I'm not talking about because you just were goofy on the job. I'm talking about you being righteous and you actually haven't made someone angry in a while. Maybe it's because you're not doing as much for the Lord as you think. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard. I love this. We prayed to our God and posted a guard. (laughs) Yep. Night and day to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out and there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemy said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Thank you for your encouragement. There's no way we can do this. It's just too much work. We just can't. They're so well organized. We're not. Verse 13, Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, and your wives and your homes. Don't be afraid. Remember the Lord and fight. What a great illustration for us right here in Nehemiah. Last verse for the evening is in Revelation chapter 2. In every major section of the Bible we've seen tonight that God is calling us to fight. (laughs) Revelation chapter 2 in verse 12. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live. (laughs) Anybody ever said that to you? If it's the wrong people, that is not a compliment. I know where you live. 
where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Man, what a, what a great commendation for a place. You guys are living right where Satan lives and you haven't turned your back on me. Even though there are martyrs in your midst, there are witnesses and martyrs in your midst, you haven't turned your back. Verse 14, nevertheless, wow, you'd think that that would have concluded the matter. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam. You have people in your church who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Now, what is this saying, folks? You've got a group of people, you've got a church here in Pergamum that is standing in the face of great adversity and seemingly holding it together. And yet there are some in their midst who are holding to teachings that aren't faithful and true, that aren't righteous. They've somehow been infused with something from the world, the Nicolaitans, the teachings of Balaam. Jesus says, I will soon come to you and fight against them. What he's trying to encourage them is, he's saying, why don't you go fight with them so that I don't have to come and fight with them? Why don't you set their hearts straight so that, because when I come, it's going to hurt. When I come, yeah, there's no chance for them to even do anything about it. Why don't you address that? Why don't you focus on that? Yes, you can stand in the midst of great adversity. But you know what? Sometimes we don't like to fight because we just are trying to get away from the uncomfortable places in our lives. Let me encourage you. If you've got things that you, that you come up to the edge of and you don't want to do, maybe that's the very first place that you should start a fight. Maybe that, that family member that you really have been wanting to talk to because they're really, the Lord's shown you things about their lives and you just really don't want to because it may cause conflict, maybe that's the exact first place that you should start. Husbands, maybe it's those things in your wives that you need to correct but you're afraid to say because you're afraid of what it will cause in your home. Maybe you need to pick a fight. Wives, maybe there's some things that needs to be said and you're just afraid to say it. Maybe you need to fight a good fight. Verse 17, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. To him who overcomes. Susan, can you put First uh, John 5, um, verse 4? I think it's 4 and 5. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that, o- that has overcome the world, even our faith. Would you stand with me tonight?
You can either get on this topic, you can either understand what's going on now, or the Lord can force you into it here in the days to come. The Lord is calling our church to get ready to fight. Not the worldly kind. Not the kind that's fighting for our own selfish ambition, our own envy, our own jealousy. That's not the kind of fight. But to actually stand up and have a righteous fight. To know what it's like to swing with all of your might, both right and left-handed, blow after blow, until the enemy starts to quake. To have your hands to just start beating on the cage that, in, that has entrapped people. Until you start seeing the dust and the powder come. Just blow after blow after blow. How about you join with me in what I've been praying? Lord, I want to fight. I want to fight. For the people that I haven't fought for, Lord, forgive me, but I want to fight. Give me opportunities, Lord, to fight for you. Show me. Let me strategize the right strategy, but let me encourage those of you who hear that and say that you should think more about it. That's not what I'm saying. I'd rather you get a bloody nose fighting than to sit so long on the sidelines trying to strategize that you miss the battle. Far too many in this room have missed the battle because they just wait. And they're praying about the right opportunity. If you see it, let's just presume that because we're in this season, if, God, if you notice it, that it's yours to fight. Amen. Especially if you don't want to. Especially if it's screaming out and showing you in the Word that this is righteousness and you've got to stand for it. You've got to stand on the right side of this. We're going to worship here in just a minute. Maybe you need to repent because you thought of, of fighting as something that only barbarians do. You've been in peacetime so long you actually resemble Judges chapter 3 and Judges chapter 2. You've forgotten what it's actually like to fight. You had to fight to get into the kingdom and then things have been going pretty good and you just kind of lost your will to fight. This is a pioneering season for us. Let's go see what ground we can take. Let's go see who's, who needs to be snatched from the fire. Let's go see who's having unjust, unjust after unjust injustices performed to them and has no one to stand up on their behalf. Not going to be in my watch. It's not going to be where I can see it. Just not going to let that happen. Will you join me in this fight? Will you join me in this fight?